Welcome to Dads, Daughters, and Dollars, a financial podcast for everyone. Now, here's one of my favorite people. (laughs) I'm Sean, the dad, clearly the favorite. And I'm Caitlin, the daughter, clearly my dad's mistaken. Hi, everyone. Um, Hi. Welcome back to Dad's Daughters and Dollars. Hi, Dad. How's it going? Uh, very good. How are you? Good. Um, so for this week's episode, um, what, I think this is our 12th episode we're recording? Yes, it is. Cool. So number 12. Um, I decided I was going to try and take some reins and see how that goes. Um, my dad loves talking about just investing in general, but specifically in mutual funds. Yes, um, I do. And so I wanted to ask you questions about it because... I have gotten guidance from you and I feel like you've probably um, done a lot of the hard first steps for me. So I kind of wanted to like break those down for the audience and also just, you know, anyone my age looking to get into. I think it's um, a great idea. Investing in mutual funds. So, you know, first off, we're just going to say a simple define what a mutual fund is and why they're important to you versus a stock from just say like Apple or Google. All right. A stock from one company. Right. Right. All right. So first off, I'll say I do not buy any individual stocks, none. Wow. And the reason is because I want more diversity than that. Right. So and that's what a mutual fund is? A mutual fund gives you more diversity, but I'll get a little bit more into it. But when I buy one individual stock, that means I'm putting all my faith and money into one, one company. Right. I have to believe. Now- do I think you could get do very well, like investing in an Amazon, a Coca-Cola, Google, whatever? Yes. And there are a lot of people that only buy, let's say, six to 10 stocks, and that's all they own their whole life, and they do fine. But I'm not willing. I don't think that's enough diversity for me for my comfort level. Right. So I don't invest in any individual stocks. Right. What I do is I buy mutual funds, and mutual funds invest in hundreds and sometimes thousands of stocks. So instead of me owning one company or six to 10 companies, I own hundreds to thousands of companies. Very, very the, small percentage. Small percentages. Right. But what I do own are the Googles and the Amazons and the Coca-Colas. I still own those. I just don't like put all my money into just like six to eight individual stocks. Right. So you have that and more. So if, you know... I don't know if this would actually be applicable, but if Apple's iPhone 14 is just an absolute failure and it's and it's catastrophic and it absolutely changes the market, you're not, you know, you don't have all your eggs in one basket. Correct. So like, for instance, in the instance where someone owns just Apple. Now, do I think if someone just owns Apple, will they do well over time? Absolutely. But let's say that year they took a 20% hit and you're like, I can't believe how much my portfolio has dropped because all I own is Apple. Well, I own Apple too in my mutual fund, but it's a small percentage. So I will take a little hit from Apple, but I won't take a big hit overall in my mutual fund because I have a lot of other companies working for me at the same time. Right. That are doing just, you know, fine. They're not affected by Apple. So great. That's good to know. So uh, let me, I'll just tell you what a mutual fund is. A mutual fund is a type of investment vehicle consisting of either stocks, bonds, or other securities. And mutual funds, they cast a wide net. I basically invest in equity mutual funds, and equity means stock. Right. Stock mutual so, funds. So your mutual funds don't have bonds in them. They're just they stock. They do not. Okay. That's good to know. I actually genuinely didn't know that. Um, now, you- I'll, yeah, I'll tell you one other thing. I know a lot of people, like a lot of people who love this company, Vanguard. Vanguard's a great company. Mm-hmm. 
and they invest they invest in three index funds which are mutual funds and they invest in a stock mutual fund that kind of covers the whole stock stock market right uh, this is what they recommend people do they invest in an all bond stock market fund right and they own an all international total stock market fund so if you had those three things, you've got all the basis coverage. You've got bonds or things that are just basically like cash investments. If you give us $1,000 and you're buying a treasury bond from the U.S. government in 20 years, we'll give you $1,000 plus X amount of interest. Right. So it's, it's primarily a cash investment. Right. Stocks can go up and down. They could go up significantly higher than bonds or they could drop and you can lose money. Right. So you're taking more of a risk. And then when you buy an interma- international stocks, you're like going, well, I'm not just trusting America is going to do well. Maybe Spain and Italy are going to do great. And right. So I'm buying all the countries. Well, so I'm curious um, if the if what you're invested in, is that just companies within the U.S. or is that, you know, um, a major, you know, I think, believe TikTok is uh, from China. And, you know, would you be invested? Is, is China included in that or well, do you not generally I, know? I own a total stock market index fund, which is a mutual fund. And it owns approximately 3,600 to 3,800 stocks. Wow. Yeah, so that 36 to 3,800 gives me a lot of diversity. Right, but do you know if I'm I am positive that some of those companies have huge international investments. Ah. So the company might be based in America. Right. But they own 13 offices in Tokyo and, you know. And yeah, Hong Kong. Hong and, Kong and Spain and, and Istanbul. London and, and, yeah, yeah. They, so they have investments all over the world. So I know I'm getting a lot of international. Maybe I'm not getting as much diversity if I had a full-blown international stock right. index fund, but I'm getting plenty. Right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so I guess moving on, um, very simple. When did you first learn about mutual funds versus stock? Um, when was that a concept that you, Well, I'll tell you how, how old we, were you? Or? I was, it was, I think it was about 28 and I think it was about 1985 or so. And we had a family friend who recommended this broker at Smith Barney. Oh, I we, didn't even know Smith Barney was a... Smith Barney was a brokerage firm. Oh, okay. They have since been bought out and they're owned by, I forget who. Yeah, that's okay. Right? So we went to Smith Barney and we met with this broker who was uh, a broker for somebody who was really pretty wealthy, but was somebody that we knew in the family. Right. And they recommended this person and they set up this meeting for us. So we went and met with them, and I was going to invest in a in, uh, retirement account, individual retirement account. Yeah. I wasn't investing in a Roth IRA account because in 1985, Roth IRAs didn't exist. Right. It was 12 more years before they existed. My birth year. So mm-hmm. I was going to put in $2,000 a year, mm-hmm. but I was going to dollar cost average, which basically just means monthly, putting in yeah. a monthly amount. Whatever 2000 breaks down to for Divided by 12, yeah. right. It's approximately $167. So we went there, and he recommended a thing called American Funds Investment Company of America. Mm. All right, so Investment Company of America, and when I looked into it, it had been around since 1934, and this was 1985, so it was like 41 years later, or 51 years later. It averaged something like 9.8%. Oh, yeah, and that's pretty good. Right, so that's that's pretty good. average that is still... Maintained to this day, 40 years later. I said, fine, I'm going to do this. And then about 12 years later, I found out about fees. Oh. So we, can, they, we can eventually get into that. I don't know where your questions are yeah. heading, but. Okay. It, that, I'm sorry they got you on fees. Well, I guess now you know a little bit better and hopefully. I do know better. We can teach Now, did I still too. do well? 
but not nearly as well. And I can explain it to you. Right. So was 1985 the first year that you started investing? Obviously, like you did it. It was. You you learned about it. Maybe you did a little bit of research, but that was the same year you said. It it wasn't like it took you two years or three years. I knew I wanted to start. I probably, since I was 22, would read a magazine every now and then, like Kiplinger's Personal Finance or Money Magazine. And then when I eventually met mom and we were just dating, I started uh, subscribing to both those magazines. So I'd, you know, I'd get two different magazines a month and they're both sort of financial and personal finance based. And I would read and I would just educate myself. I'd go to the library, buy some books. I wasn't intensely into it, but I was going like, I think when a retirement comes around, I hopefully I'm, I've done all the right things. So let me just try and figure out what it's about. Right. That makes sense. Um, yeah. Cause it, it makes me wonder, you know, at 28, if I didn't, if you hadn't done that, how long would it have taken me to stumble upon it? You know, Here's would I thing. be 30, 32? <laughs> Here's the thing I want to tell you. Since you have had your Roth IRA since age three, and I didn't start investing till I was 28, you have 25 year jump on me. I think at age- But that's because of you. <laughs> correct. But my parents didn't teach me anything about investing. Right. Like, I'm sure they just put their money in the bank and like, oh, they're, some years like in the 70s, they were probably getting 4% or 5% interest on their savings in a bank. Now, yeah. you, you can't get like 0.0001 or something. I think online banks give you a better They do, return. but it's still pretty bad. Right. Yeah. It's not like the stock market. But you have a 25-year jump on me in terms of compound <laughs> interest and investing- and I bet at age 40, you call me and go, Dad, I can't believe you were so right. <laughs> well, there's, I'm not certainly calling you wrong now. I definitely believe it. But um, so I guess I'll just ask, how much do you remember when you invested like the first time? Correct. It was, it was so, like 167 or what was your no, principal when you first put it in? It was $250. And the reason I know that, because I went back and looked it up. Really? You I can had, look it up still? I had the application in the <gasps> other room. Oh, wow. So we had to put down now some mutual funds are like, oh, the minimum is $1,000 or the minimum is $2,000. Right, yeah. So for this account, if you're opening it, I think if you're only opening up in a retirement account, not just a brokerage account, um, the retirement account was 250 to start with. And I knew I wanted to fund $2,000 a year. Right. And so then it, you know, starting the next year, it averaged out to $167 a month. Right. But I don't know if, if I first got it in April, I know I fully funded 2000 by the end of the year. Right. And then you just did 167 after that. But, but I have in the other room, many, I, many checks that are written for $167. I can't believe you did that. Wow. You still have it. I What I did, this is how I've lived my life. I have a big calendar and if I write on like, oh, the 15th, send money to mutual fund company, I look at the calendar and I do it. Yeah. Whatever I write on the calendar, I do. If it yeah. says workout, if it says LA marathons this Friday, I do it. Yeah. <laughs> I just, whatever's on my calendar, I do. Um, well, yeah, because I was just, you know, you said 250. Um, it makes me wonder, you know, that has obviously gone up. Like the minimums have probably gone up. You um, know? To tell you the truth, like on the, the Roth IRA you're in, you could get in with $1. They've gone down. Now, right. not for every company, but you're with Schwab. And like, I think Vanguard, their minimum investment might be $3,000. I'm not sure. I right, don't want to yeah. misquote me. But you could, put, you could open a Roth IRA with Schwab with no money. And then like, oh, I finally made $10. I'm going to put $10 in. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah, Schwab. Um, so uh, I guess I'll then ask what's really important. Um, 
was, you know, how long was the process to apply? It was just one application and then you were in? I got, I, I, they gave me like, it was like a six page application. It probably took me 20 minutes to fill out. We mailed it back. Um, you know, it's just sort of like your name, your address, all that stuff. They always ask something like this and you'll see this on nearly every application. Are you a professional money manager? Are you like, are right. you planning on playing games with this money or something? And I don't know if they're that. That's kind of what that question as is though there, As though there's some sort of federal law against that or something. Right. But, you know, you just answered all the questions and then it says, what's the, you know, you know, it, it always says something like, what's your investing experience? Mm-hmm. Uh, beginner, intermediate, very experienced, you know, right. they, they just want to know so that they can sell your products. Right. So if you're a beginner, here are these three beginner courses and talk to our consultants for a, $100 an no, hour. No, but you'll probably, you will probably get mail from yeah. whichever brokerage firm you're with that says, hey, here you know, here's these things you should look at. Yeah. To, to continue your investments. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, another really important question, how do you go about choosing mutual funds? I feel like there's so many out there to choose from, you know, especially if you're invested at a brokerage and there's, you know, I feel like every single, you know, if you go and watch whatever business channel and it has all those numbers flying across the screen, I know that those are mostly individual stocks, but it's just, it seems like then you have endless combinations of mutual funds as well. Right. So you're absolutely right. It's very, very complex. But if you can fight through and just sort of, you know, look at like, I, I read those two magazines and even though they were like saying, this is the hottest new mutual fund, this is the hottest new stock. Hey, this is what people are doing this year. These are six moves you must make this year. It is, it gets complex because you're feeling this pressure. Right. I have four ways I choose a mutual fund. And by the way, I know this is a question I think you have coming up. I haven't invested in any new mutual funds in at least 10 years. I just keep adding money to the ones I have because I love them so much. Right. Because they're giving you the returns that you think are are good, but, you know, not crazy unstable. They're giving me plenty of diversity with as minimal risk, but I think a large upside as long as I hold for the long term. Right. So the four things are, the number one is costs. And there's two types of costs with a mutual fund. Mm-hmm. One is a load. What does a load mean? It was a thing that the uh, money community used to say commissions. Oh. So instead of saying commission, a load is a commission. So oh. if they say, oh, this has a front end load, that means we're pay- you have to pay us a commission because we just recommended this mutual fund to you. Oh. And oh, by the way, every time you invest in that mutual fund, pay us another commission. Oh, so stay away from loads. Exactly, which is what the very first one we had, Investment Company of America with American Funds, was a front-end load. Uh. And then when I went and found this out after 12 years, the front-end load was 5.75%, which means for every $100 I invested, I have to give them $5.75. Even though you haven't even made money from that $100. Correct. And... They're estimating that you're going to make... Make... From 95 back to 100 and then even more than that. So, But they're about, still taking away five. <laughs> but you, that sounds like very little, right? But I'm investing $2,000 a year. So they were taking $115 a year a, a away worth. from my $2,000. Right. And so what's really being invested every year for me is $1,885. Uh, Times 30 years, then that really adds up. And compound interest, it really adds up. Right. So I think it's about... 12 years after I had it, I really read and did all my homework about loads and I got rid of it. So then you just, you took all that money out and you invested it in something else? I basically, because it was in a retirement account, I switched it over to a, 
a different retirement account. Got you. Right. All right. So a load so load or, is loads loads are bad. Loads are terrible. So there's either front end loads or back end loads. Right. So once so, you take it out, you got to pay us. So they don't usually have both. They usually have one or the other. Right. So the front end load is... Having and, both would be who would sign up to have both. <laughs> and by the way, when you get your statement, you'll never see, oh, they subtracted $5.75 because you only invested 100000 They just took it from you. They just show you what's in your account. And yeah. they never show you that they took it. Yeah. And so that's a front end load. Mm. And then I found out front end loans were sometimes between 1.2% and 5.75. I was paying the highest. Oh, jeez. Exactly. Now, back end loads is like, let's say the back end load was, let's say, 3.5%. That says that after 30 years of earning money, let's say you put 1000 in, and in 30 years, it's 100000 They say, okay, for you to cash this in, you owe us 3.5% of 100000 oh. like $3,500. Yeah, that's a lot. And if it was 5.7, it would have been, you owe us $5,750 right. of that 100000 Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a so good chunk of change. number one... No load funds. You never want to load. Right. Okay. And I'm sure there's somebody who's going to list this fund and said, oh, I did great. No load funds, more your money's going to work, more is compounding quicker. Right. So that's one of the fees that or, you pay. Or, so, oh, so there's multiple fees, but because... That's one of the fees that I look at. Right. I make sure there's no front end and no back, back end. end load, right. which is code for commission. Right. Um, code for money not going in your pocket. And by the way, I just want to bring this up. So let's say the guy, you know, the guy's trying to earn a living who's the broker, right? Mm-hmm. So he should be able to make a living. So let's say he does take the, I invest uh, $1,000 the very first month. Mm-hmm. Right? And he should be able to get his 5.7, but he shouldn't get it for the rest of time for recommending. It's almost like if you invested for 30 years every month and he sends you a text every 360, every 365 days. No, he, no. He sends you 360 texts. Right. which is 30 years times 12 months. And each text says, I'm taking some money. I'm yeah. taking some money. And this is based on 30 years ago, I recommended this fund to you. Right. Yeah. I'm like, that's not fair. That that seems like uh, trying to make royalties a thing for brokers, but it just doesn't really feel Well, listen, right. they should if they're really earning you money or something like that, but they made the one recommendation. We're not changing it. Yeah. Why do I keep paying you? Yeah. All right. So the other thing is expense ratios. Every mutual fund has an expense ratio, but I try and get the smallest. Why? Because I want my money working for me in the long term. Is it an expense ratio? An expense ratio is the operating cost of a mutual fund. So an operating cost can be things like record keeping, taxes, legal expenses, accounting, auditing fees, stuff like that. So if a mutual fund, you know, do mutual funds, they ever change the the 3,600 companies, you know, every three years, they change out 100 of those companies. Yeah, the companies change all the and time. And the fees that it takes to change out those 100 companies that the, you know, Schwab is doing for you, that those are those fees? Schwab, no. It would be something like we're invested in a Schwab Total Markets uh, Stock Index Fund. They are sending out prospectuses to people. So they got to print up all those things. Right. They have to pay the overhead of running the office. They have to contact whatever um, the New York Stock Exchange to make sure if I send them $100, that $100 goes to the right place so that it's invested on that day. Right. They have a lot of work to do. But I still think because majority of the work's being done by computers now. Right. 
a lot of it's automated. It can be, it can go faster and quicker. And so some people are still charging like 1.2% expense fees. I have with Schwab on my two, two uh, mutual fund index funds, 0.003. Yeah. So that means. I just visibly raised my eyebrows for those so who obviously for, can't see what us. What that means is for every $10,000 I invest, I pay $3 to them. Wow. That's pretty cheap. Yeah. So what does that mean? $9,997 of my money gets fully invested. Right. And that's how you come out ahead. That makes sense. Um, so, so expense ratios and uh, keep the expense ratio as low as possible. No load funds, meaning no commission funds. Right. The other thing I do is I look and say, how long has the mutual fund been around? And I made this arbitrary rule. Right. And not everybody's going to do it. I wanted the mutual fund to be around seven to 10 years. And the reason was, does it have any history? Is it the latest and greatest one that's investing in all these crazy investments? Oh, it returned 60%. I'm not going to invest in that one because that won't be stable. It's probably risky. Yeah. So you want something that's steady, consistent. Right. So I go and look and you can look online and say you're investing in uh, one of the things I used to have was called the Gabelli Asset Fund. And I go and look it up and it says, oh, the manager who's running the fund, he's a professional money manager, has been there 18 years. I'm like, okay, that's good. How long has the mutual fund been around? Oh, it's been around 11 years. Okay. Now let me consider everything else I want to consider and then maybe I'm going to invest. And that was a no-load fund I did invest in. Right. So the fourth thing that is thing, so what is the actual return? What does it make annually? Mm-hmm. I will never get, or never try and get a mutual fund that over the history of the fund is like getting like 25%. So mm. if, if, if the history- Even if it's more than, you know, seven to 10 years old? Uh, yeah, because that's probably impossible. Oh, because okay. of all the ups and downs of the stock market. But let's say you you found a stock market mutual fund that said it, it made 42% last year. That probably means it's a, a year or two old right. and probably invests in nothing but tech stocks. So it could be on the third year it loses 50%. Right. And it just wipes out everything that was in there. So when I'm looking for something that's getting maybe 12 to 14%, and I know it's not going to do that every year. It right. just Let's say the mutual fund is 12 years old. It's average 12% because there were two years out of those 12 where the stock market went up 28%. Right. But there were of those 12 years, maybe four of those years, the stock market mutual fund that I'm invested in lost 4%. But over time, it averaged 12. I'm fine if something averaged nine, but I would never look for something that averaged more than 14. You don't want to... I don't think... I think it's too risky. Yeah, you don't want to play a risky game with your money, especially if you're taking all the time to invest right. it. And continually add to it, too. Correct. Because it's not like you're just letting it sit there. You you continually add a lot to it. Right. Um. So then, uh, do you exclusively talk to Schwab customer service or like their consultants or do you have other resources and websites and or podcasts that you go to to maybe find or research Good question. the you know the best mutual funds? So I the reason I'm with Schwab is I left Smith Barney and I left Smith Barney because I had once when Roth IRAs finally came around, I sent in money and I said, you know, I have a regular IRA, but I obviously can take advantage. So mom and I opened two more retirement accounts. We had two regular IRAs because that's all that existed. And when we opened the Roth IRAs, it was maybe 1997, 1998. And I sent in the money and gave specific directions on the check. Please invest this in my Roth IRA. And the lady that took the check and invested it put in the regular IRAs. So it happened twice. And what happens to switch the money from the regular IRA to Roth IRA, I supposedly have to pay out 
as though I'm cashing in my retirement account for $2,000. No. And now the IRS charges me taxes. Oh. So I said to when Smith. When you're like 35 years old. Well, but and I'm like, I'm not or only. Or you were t- actually. I'm not only not taking 40, it out. But. Somebody at Smith Barney put it in the wrong account. Yeah, so you're getting so charged wanted, for someone else's mistake. Right. So I said to Smith Barney, I want you to make up for it. Meaning like, let, let's say I'm going to get charged $38 in tax for cashing in the 2000 thing and switching it over to the Roth where I wanted to go in the first place. And they wouldn't match it. And I said, goodbye. And I took all my money and I went to Schwab. Wow. Yeah. Got to do what you got to do. You got to do what you got to do. Because they weren't going to look after my money. And the person had made the mistake twice. So, so here's the other thing. So Schwab has been incredible. Uh, anytime I call customer service, I ask any question. They're like, oh, let me send you to the retirement department. Let me send you to the legal department. Let me send you. And I'm just like, they give me tons of information. It's true. He recently airdropped a whole bunch of contacts to me. And he actually, I think a majority. I have about 12 Schwab numbers. A majority of the C contact names in his phone are Charles Schwab, like Bill Pay, Charles Schwab, identity theft, Charles Schwab, this and that. Exactly. Like things that I don't even know necessarily you've called more than once in your life, but you still have saved, obviously. Right. Um, which so, I find pretty funny. I love Schwab. They've. They've been very good. And I'm sure there's other brokerage firms. People I know are in love with and saying about Vanguard, and Vanguard's very good too. But the other things you asked about, what are the other things I, I look in? I love podcasts. I've been listening to all types of podcasts for at least 15 years. Financial podcasts for maybe the last 12 to 13 years. There's two I particularly love, Choose FI. Love that podcast. Stacking Benjamins, I've learned so much. I've gone for walks at night and I have my headphones on and I will stop in the middle of my walk and I'll text myself a message. Oh, you got to look up this or you got to get that book. It's true. (laughs) Um, In terms of people I follow, Morgan Housel, H-O-U-S-E-L, has a blog that's amazing. He's with a company uh, and I just forgot the name of it, but you can even find him on YouTube where he's interviewing a lot of funny fun money managers and you can get tons of information. Sometimes it's a little bit technical, but most of the time it's very easy to understand. And then the other person I love is Jason Zweig and he's with the Wall Street Journal. And unless you subscribe to the Wall Street Journal, you probably can't read it, but he has plenty of books and you could go to the library and read his articles. Right. So then I think you kind of already answered this one because you said you hadn't invested in a new one in 10 years, but um, do you personally find you add new mutual funds every once in a while? Like when was, when was, you know, 10 years ago, what made you go, I need to, you know, find a new one? It's because of, I looked at the, uh, fees. Oh, so you had been investing in something and the fees had like crept up on you or they changed well, them like, without I'll give you notifying an, you? I have an actual example for you. So I told you about Gabelli Asset and mm-hmm. I did about, you said like, how long do you research something? The first mutual fund I researched for about four weeks. And it doesn't mean every single day. So let, let's, say right. that, let's say that was a total of seven hours. So I read three articles about it. And then I went to the library and I looked up something and I looked up something online, whatever. I said, okay, I'm now fully in. I'm going to do it. And I put like $1,000 into Gabelli Asset, whatever it was. And then when I started to discover more and more about fees, I probably owned that mutual fund 10 years. Right. And then I saw, like I told you, the Schwab one that, the total stock market one, it was the expense ratio was 0.003. So $3 for every 10,000 invested. I found out that the Gabelli that was giving a good return, it was probably averaging 12%. It was, I had to pay $136 for every 10,000 invested. Oh, So $133 more was not being invested and compounded. 
And I'm like, and that and, adds up. And that was a no load fund, so I didn't have any commissions going in. Right. But every year when I'm giving them money, they're taking, they're skimming off of it. I looked, did all the research. It wasn't a broker who said you have to invest in this. Now, granted, they need money to run the office and overhead and all that stuff and pay the employees, whatever. I get it, but I, when I could get three dollars for every ten thousand invested versus one hundred thirty-six, three dollars seems smart to me. Right. Um, so I guess going off that, have you ever switched mutual funds, um, or have, or I guess, but maybe the better question is, uh, is there one that you've stuck with since the beginning? Since I guess maybe since you switched over from the Barney place. Um. Yes, and it's and it's not for the right reason. I have a I have a mutual fund called Baron Asset Mutual Fund, and it's a no load, but it has like a one point three one expense ratio. Some, and the only reason I kept it is because I've had it over twenty years, maybe twenty five, and it has so much earnings in it. I didn't want to pay the capital gains to get out of it. Right. So it's not in a retirement account. It's in just in a plain brokerage account. So I would have to pay a lot of capital gains. Right. I wanted to start taking money out of that when I'm retired. And if I'm not bringing in a large sum of money, then I'll pay less taxes on those capital gains. Okay. So, so capital gains is not only a reflection of how much that specific, you know, stock or mutual fund made you, but also how much income you are receiving. Correct. Like we figured, I figured out with my accountant, I think it was two years ago. If I cashed it in and said, oh, just take all that money and put it in something that's, you know, more of a... That doesn't have as much of an expense, expense ratio. ratio. I would have paid $48,000 for that privilege. Oh, that's a lot of money. Exactly. And I didn't want to do that. Right. Yeah. That's... Yeah. So, but when you're in retirement, I'm not going to cash in... Let's say there's... You don't two, need to cash it all in at once. Yeah. Let's say it's $250,000 in the account. I don't know. I don't... Honestly, don't know offhand. But if of that 250000 I could say... I'm only taking a thousand a month in retirement. Right. And then I'm going to pay less tax because supposedly I'm not working and not bringing in a salary. So I pay less tax. Right. Okay. So I, I kept that one, but I wish I hadn't uh, invested in, in the first place. Okay. But over time, I may have done okay. Yeah. So the, the at least the returns on it were pretty good. Right. Um, and then uh, how many mutual funds are you currently invested in across all accounts? So you have I'm three different ones. Four. You're at four. And I wish I had two. Oh. And the four. Because the one you, you just said you didn't well, like. Well, the Baron Asset has done well for me. Mm-hmm. And it, I'm still paying expense ratio that I don't like. Right. The second one that's in a taxable brokerage account is it called uh, American Century Ultra. Okay. Which I did, you know, the return per, per year is good. I'm right. doing well. But I don't like the expense ratio. Yeah, right. And then I have two Schwab index funds, mm-hmm. which the expense ratio is like that 0.003. Yeah, $3. And they're both index funds. One invests in the S&P 500, the top 500 stocks in the stock market. And one's a total stock market index fund and invests in like 36, 3,800 stocks. Right. And I think I might be invested in those two, too. Correct. I don't think... I actually think I'm invested in three different You're ones. You're in the... I'm in the two that you mentioned, I believe. Yes, you did the S&P 500 and the total stock market through Schwab index funds. And then you're in the Vanguard S&P 500 index fund. You can do Vanguard through Schwab? Yes. Oh. You do pay a little extra fee to do the initial investment, but not every investment after that. So it's not like I'm doing the... I'm already forgetting the term for it. I'm not paying money every month to just be in there. It was just an initial fee. Correct. Now... I think you should have two funds and not, not three. <laughs> not three. And why? 
Because when I first invested in the Vanguard one and I learned about index funds and I found out what a great company they were, I'm like, this is so great. I got to get my daughter in this. So we started investing your money in that. But then its expense ratio is higher. It's low, but it's higher. Well, what's, I don't know. Off now of, that I know these terms, what's the expense ratio? I don't know ratio? offhand, but it might be like 1%. Okay. Something like that. Or maybe it's point. One zero, like ten point one tenth or something. Point versus, zero one. Yeah. No, no, no. I think it's point one zero ver- oh. versus point zero three. Got it. Okay. So, so I think you you pay a hundred dollars for every ten thousand invested versus three dollars. Well, I haven't invested ten, but um, that's, but but yeah. that's my point is. That was the first one I went into because I had done a bunch of research. I was like, this is so much better than the mutual funds I have. And then I found an index fund that was even cheaper. Right. And they're basically investing in the exact same thing. You're just duplicating yourself. Oh, I got to change at least, that. At least for the S&P 500 stuff. Right, yeah. I don't need to be invested in the S&P 500 twice. It's basically what you're doing. Oh, wow. Look, I'm learning. We're learning things like literally on the exactly. fly. Um, well, I didn't know if there's anything else you wanted to mention about mutual funds, um, but... You know, um, no, I just, to me, it's when you're investing in a mutual fund, the reason I would do it is because you're getting, you're owning hundreds to thousands of companies as opposed to owning one. Like the needle in the haystack, just buy the whole haystack. Yeah, exactly. I'm buying the whole haystack instead of looking for the needle in the haystack. And then somebody will say to me, yeah, but what about Google? What about Amazon? Yes. If you bought those a while ago, you're, you're killing. But for me, it, to me, I'm okay with getting a little bit less, but being steady. And then if for some reason Amazon went broke, or there was a some sort of crisis or whatever, and it went broke, it's not killing me because it's only a portion of my 3,600. Yeah. And if a pandemic hasn't hurt Jeff Bezos, I don't know what will, but. Right. But you know, and you know, like I said, there are people who invest six to 10 stocks and they do really well. Right. But I don't want to be the one who has to pick those and just guess and then have the stress. I'm just like, let the whole, I'm cast my net really wide. Right. Just, you know, slow and steady win the, win, wins a race, be the turtle, I guess. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Um, well, that was super informative. Mm. I hope that um, everyone got something out of this. I kind of wanted to switch it up and just ask you rapid fire questions, I, I guess. Listen, I am so down for this because I love when you do the asking the questions because sometimes I feel like I'm driving it and you react really great, but this is great. I yeah. didn't fully know everything you were going to ask and so it was fun. Yeah, so I guess um, going forward, you know, we're still going to talk a lot about investing, but just to like, you know, define some terms. And I generally really need to get out of the Vanguard S&P because, <laughs> so that's Listen, good for me to know. You're still going to be fine. You're just paying a little bit more expense fee. It's not that much more. Right. I'll be fine. But um, I guess everyone, thanks for tuning in to this week's Thank episode. Thank you. Yes. And please, we are across every uh, streaming service. So if you're looking to subscribe, you can find us on Apple and Stitcher and uh, Google and Spotify and anchor and our website and open public or something radio public. radio public there's yes. an open something too i thought and i want to thank our seven countries that are listening in and it's everybody really cool seeing all the countries on all the great on feed- our analytics we've got a lot of great feedback so i want to thank you all um but yeah uh tune in to next week's episode and we hope to see you there and uh yeah thank you very much The content on Dads, Daughters, and Dollars is for informational purposes only and does not constitute professional financial advice. Listeners should consult an attorney, accountant, financial planner, or other professionals to suit your specific needs.